Welcome tonight, Frank, Australia's podcast, The Property Perspective. I'm James O'Neill, a partner of Occupy Services in the industrial business, and today I'm joined by JD, or otherwise known as Joel Davy, the partner and head of the industrial uh, and logistics business in Victoria. Um, today we're going to be talking about a number of subjects, which include industrial property in Victoria, but we'll be having a look over different industrial trends, emerging trends, post-COVID trends. We'll run through some relevant statistics and in due course, I'm sure, illuminate everyone as to what's going on in the Victorian industrial property scene. So, Joel, I might just hand over to you now to introduce yourself, give us a little bit about your history, what you've done and where you've done it, and um, bring people into the picture. Thank you, James, for that introduction. My name's Joel Davey. I've been working at Knight Frank now coming on 11 years, specialising in the Western industrial market of Victoria. It's been a great 11 years, and during that time, I've seen a number of changes and trends emerge over that time. We've seen sheep stations turn into thriving industrial hubs out in the western suburbs, and will continue to do so, it seems, as the land supply in the west, the north and the east is, you know, looking like we've only got three years left. So we're going to continue to see those land rates soar. Okay. And we'll probably jump into that a bit later, but just to dwell on your team a little bit for now, how, how many guys are in Victoria, Joel, and who works where and in which market? What, are you, what area do you guys cover? We cover all of Victoria. We've got a city fringe team made up of Nathan Edgar and Thomas Dodd. We've got Brent and Marco, who head up our Northern Industrial Department. Uh, we've got myself, Steve Jones, Andrew Gallucci, Michael Satterley, and Nathan Edgar looking after the Western Department. And then out in the east, we've got George Lynn, Stuart Gill, Stephen Selopek, focusing in on that Dandenong, Clayton area. Fantastic. And from what I know, working on the other side of the fence in Occupy Services, Victorian team is regarded as quite a strong team throughout the market and has done for the five years I've been in the business. So it's fair to say you've got a good team under you, Joel, and got a really good handle on transactions throughout the southeast, north, city fringe and western markets from where I'm sitting. So, look, I can't not ask this. You're based in Victoria. You were locked down for six years straight. Uh, how's your headspace? How is your team's headspace? Have you emerged yeah. from the fog of lockdown or is it is there a lingering problem, do you think, psychological problem or are you guys through that all? I think ultimately we've got a very young, motivated, hungry industrial team here in Victoria. Uh, the average age yeah. is around 33 years old and a lot of those guys have young families and during that period... Of lockdown, we all got a, went a little bit went a little bit crazy. Everyone in Victoria, but we are very very happy to be out of lockdown now. We were still able to transact during lockdown, which was terrific. A lot of the guys are having their best years ever, actually. So working from home is something that's been looked upon. I think maybe it's a generational thing, but the younger guys seem to pick it up a lot better. I think that's the technology that they've been brought up with. They didn't have any real trouble adapting to Zoom meetings and interfacing on computers and things like that. But it was very, very positive to see that throughout that lockdown period, we set up just a daily check-in in the morning, just to sort of run through, get everyone online, make them feel welcome and included and involved, uh, set up their days in terms of targets, 
uh, just so they felt they had something to do to keep themselves busy and motivated. And then a couple of those systems and processes we've been able to maintain now even coming out of lockdown. So we all get together in the morning. We sort of run through a few targets. It, it does allow for a more collaborative workspace, though, when you're all in the office together. Yeah. You overhear things, you overhear conversations, and you can offer up solutions on the spot. Whereas if you're stuck at home by yourself, you just don't get that that soundboard. I suppose to bounce ideas off, you don't you don't get that feedback. Yeah, but, uh, the ability to collaborate at short notice is is always valuable, isn't it? Well, I think when it's a a younger team and everyone's still learning, it's important to sort of have someone to you know throw questions at or get a better understanding of. Is this, is this everything that's out there in the market? Is there something I haven't thought of? Is there another angle or another way of looking at this? Yeah. And there's, well, it's always better when you've got, you know, more heads looking at it, especially more experienced heads that can offer a different perspective and offer, you know, some insight yeah. as to why something might, why a vendor might be acting like this or what's their motivation for behaving like this and just look at yeah. things from a different perspective, throw that up. Couldn't agree more. Something that's highly valuable in our business and, certainly helps get more deals done from where I'm standing too. Look, I might take this opportunity for us to start to explore a little bit about the evolution of the Victorian industrial market. So again, I'm not going to pretend to know anything I don't know and I'll I'll lean on the local expert. So if you're going to speak to the, the audience, Joel, who, in terms of the market evolution, what's the newest market? What's the oldest market? And, and maybe what are some trends you've seen maybe relocation-wise. So, you know, the northern market's been around the airports for a long time. The southeast market's a well-established market. And then the western market seems to be the, the mover and shaker. Mm. So can you maybe provide a bit more detail on how the property market has evolved? And then, yeah, what are the more recent or emerging trends you're seeing? I think due to the western markets geographically very close to the port of Melbourne, Due to the slowdown in manufacturing in Australia and the fact we rely so much on importing everything these days, from cars to coffee machines, very little, very few products are made in Australia anymore. So, you know, you look at the major users of warehousing in the West, it's, it's made up, I'd say, 95% of warehousing and logistics in the Western market. In the North, it's largely food producers and what used to be manufacturing. You had Ford and everyone else located up there. So I think in the in the Western market, it's and you say more recently it's been yeah, moving and shaking. We've sort of really been able to ride the wave of e commerce in in the West, just again due to our Into proximity the West, to the yeah. ports and okay. due to yeah. our proximity to the C B D and uh, our probably the lowest net effective rental rates in all of Australia, it's a really good place for larger e-commerce companies to actually set up their distri- like national distribution facilities. Yes. And in the last yeah. couple of years, we've seen those large you know, juggernauts such as Amazon and HB Commerce and Catch Group, all of those very, very large yeah, international businesses have all set up out in the west of Melbourne in Truganina and Ravenhall. Okay. So it sounds like there's some pretty clear trends there in the north and the west. I guess what's happening to the southeast? Is it just are they turning them into a hundred thousand townhouses? Is it, <laughs> is it is it dissolving or is it still is it has it got some life in it yet? Oh, it definitely still has some life in it. Yeah. But I think 
you are pushing further and further away from the port and the airport. Yep. The east was always a very, very attractive industrial area due to employment capabilities. Like there was always a, in terms of your skilled labour workforce, there was a, a, yep. a lot of people lived in the east. Okay. And so it was easy to find employees in the east. But then, okay, so again, we're talking quality employees like yourself, Joe. Are you in the east? Is that? I, I, I do live in the east, mate. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Thank you very much, there, for throwing yeah. me under the bus. Yeah, I thought I'd clarify that. I did live that. in Footscray yep. as well. I, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a boy of the west as well. I live in the west. Okay. I worked in the west, but um, I grew due to a growing family. I needed a bigger house, and yeah, had to had to move back to the east, mate, just to the leafy streets and um, set myself up there. Very but it's good. it's a lovely place to to live and work, the West. Very good. But in the East, yeah, there's still a lot of movement, but I think as well due to, yes. yep. you know, the growing population and due to the rezoning of a lot of, like, the inner East. So areas like right. Richmond, okay. Port Melbourne, a lot of those areas have all been rezoned to residential. Yeah. And so a lot of those smaller inner city warehousing businesses and logistics businesses, they've been pushed out further. And that's just population yep. growth and rezoning, and that'll continue to happen, you know, I think Melbourne's on track to overtake Sydney. I'm sorry to say, Jim, like I'm pretty sure yeah, our population in Vic's going to be, be bigger than New South Wales soon. So we're almost head to head now, I think. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, you can, that's all right. You can, I'll stay in Sydney, happy here. You can stay in Victoria and you can look after things in the southeast. <laughs> it gets to the point though where we did a bit of research recently just around the land rates in Dandenong you know, pushing up around that $600 a square metre mark. If yeah. you know where Dandenong is, it, you know, circa 25 kilometres from the port of Melbourne, as the crow flies, yeah. if, you, if you're looking to the west of Melbourne, 25 kilometres west takes you out about as far as Melton. You can pick up yeah. industrial land in Melton for under $100 a metre. Right. And so, yeah. and then you don't even have to pay the tolls, you know, to go back and forth through the tunnel. So there is okay. there is a very large argument to still be had that there's still a lot of growth to come in terms of industrial land prices further out in the West. Yeah, okay. Well, look, while you're on that, it's probably a good segue into put into context where industrial land values sit in relation to the rest of the country. So if we're just having a look at recent land sales and averages for land between one to five hectares, Sydney is sitting up at around $767 a square metre. We know there's been a few transactions in Western Sydney over $1,000 a square metre, which is was struck by, let's say, data centre companies as opposed to a traditional industrial investor. Brisbane sitting at a blend average rate of $314 a square metre. Uh, and Melbourne, which we'll maybe ask, we'll dive a bit deeper into rather, is sitting at $640 per square metre job. And then Adelaide comes in at 167 per square metre and Perth comes in at 238 per square metre. So that's a surprise to me for the sake of this conversation. <laughs> but now that's indicating Victoria has the second most expensive land, which I don't believe was the case three years ago. Look, my understanding, and I'll get you to add some colour to it, was that land prices in the West were two to $300 a square metre not so long ago. It is terrifying how quickly things are moving down here right. in Melbourne, mate. And that's yes. ultimately due to the shortage around 
zoned industrial land that's titled, ready to be developed. There's a lot of zoned, titled industrial land, but it's all being held by institutional owners who are, they don't want to sell it, they're keeping it for themselves as a defensive mechanism to keep their tenants when they decide to grow out, outgrow their existing facility. But, you know, there's been some sales, you know, we've done two this week, $500 a square metre. At the start of lockdown, it was $400 a metre. Um, was the asking price, and by the end of lockdown, you know, when you think things will be going backwards, they've actually gone up by 25% to $500 a metre. And also, there's, a, there's been a few larger industrial estates that were sold off the plan. The, a lot of these industrial estates are now getting ready to settle, and owners who bought in those estates two years ago, you know, two years ago, $300 a metre was really high, they're now rubbing their hands together going, all right, I'm about to settle. The block's almost doubled in price. It's worth close to $600 a metre now. Yeah. I've just doubled my money. Uh, time to on-sell it or nominate or you know, how do I get my money back out of this thing? So it's a pretty exciting story. Yes. I mean, it's exponential growth, really. Will that growth hold up, though, Joel? And is, is that growth as a result of cheap interest rates? No, no, I think, I think we're sort of starting to see almost a three-tier system in terms of land and the way it's seen and valued in terms of industrial land. So you've got your inner west and your outer west. Yeah. That's really, your inner west is anything east of the western ring road that sort of encapsulates Melbourne and you're within a pretty much a 10 kilometre radius from the CBD. And then beyond that, okay. you've got your outer west or your west, I should say. And then beyond Robinson's and Palmer's Road and the way it sort of yep. curls around there as a 20 kilometre ring, um, you'll have your outer west. But again, due to government infrastructure projects and the outer metropolitan Western Ring Road and a few of these other pieces, as well as this urban sprawl, we're sort of seeing new residential developments pop up on the fringe of industrial estates. So we're going to go, well, where do we go to next? You know, so we're going to go out again. And you've seen companies like MAV buying up hundreds of hectares down towards Geelong. Yeah, right. Texas have gone further west up towards Caroline Springs and Rockbank. Yeah, it's just trying to find that next piece of the puzzle. They're not making any more land. Well, is the infrastructure going to follow those sites as well, Joel? Is the B-double approved roads there today or are they yet to come? Is that infrastructure on the way? Yes and no. There's definitely a plan in place and the road upgrades are happening as we speak, but still a few years away. So unfortunately, looking at, like you said, the exponential rate of growth across these suburbs, I think what we're building at the moment, by the time it's completed, will already be outdated, much like our NBN network. Right, okay. Well, look, I think we've sufficiently covered off on on land and um, supply and trends. But what is probably equally as interesting, I think, are probably the other high-level questions that most most people ask, which are where are net rents, where are market yields. So again, to put it into national context, as at today, based on our most recent research, Sydney net rents are sitting at about one hundred and fifty-three dollars per square meter per annum. Brisbane at one hundred and thirteen. Adelaide at ninety-eight. Perth at 89 and Melbourne sitting in there now at $100 per square metre. So ranks number three in the country. Do you think those face rents are going to follow the land rates too, Joel? Yeah, there's got to be growth. Surely growth needs to follow the land value increases. I think a lot of the reason that face rents haven't gone up is due to yourself and people like you in the TR department that (laughs) still believe that it's 1980 and, you know, $70 a square metre is achievable and uh, this is the way 
that it's always been and why do we need to change it? Well, you've, you've, you've almost done that for us, Joel. You know, we've, oh, we've almost got there. We, look, <laughs> it's nice to. I think in terms of a net effective rate, yep. that's potentially where we're going to see things. You know, at that circa 60 to $70 net effective rate, I think we're going to see incentive, yeah. which is a dirty word that no one likes to talk about, but I think incentives are going to sort of creep back in. For a while there, they blew out, okay. and especially while there was that uncertainty around COVID. People got a little bit uneasy around how long is this going to go on for? Is my tenant, is my building in a city of vacant? Yep. And there was also some distressed sublease space in the market, which really threw the values around. But ultimately, yep. when you're looking at the cost of the land and the cost of construction, and the return on investment, you're going to have to see those face trends push up. Otherwise, it won't make yep. sense to build anymore. Yeah. And I think that is yep. where, you know, you talked about land earlier. Is it going to keep climbing? Is it just interest rates? I think eventually at the rate that we're at, you know, around that 500 to 600, I think things are going to have to top out or you're going to have to look at a, a different type of use or a different way of construction to actually achieve a larger cubic capacity to get more value out of the site. Yep. Because with that a high underlying land value, I don't I don't see it. You know, you, you can only squeeze so much out of it. Yeah, it's a pretty narrow margin product as it is. I agree with you on that for sure. Something that interest rates has probably brought into the question more for me too, Joel. This year is cost of capital is so cheap. Why aren't you know shouldn't we look at buying? So that one's come up a little bit more. Two people more recently have, have outlined let's weigh up buying versus leasing, which actually hasn't happened a lot in the last five years. So that's one impact of interest rates. Well, it's one effect of interest rates that I've seen. But then on that, so with interest rates being so low and how that's affected yields and compressed yields, because money is so cheap, mm-hmm. you know, we see these larger industrial companies like DHL and Vita XL doing these sale and leasebacks at four and a half, four point two percent, I think recently was the big one that just happened down here to GPT. Yeah. These are the sort of rates that could only have been achieved for capital market, you know, C B D Collins Street buildings. And you know, we're seeing that for warehouses now out in the middle of Truganina, Tarnay. It's unheard of. You know, who who'd who'd be selling a building on Pitt Street in Sydney and taking the money and, you know, buying a shed out in the middle of Western Sydney. So I think the idea yeah. around industrials changed, though. It's become much more of a trophy asset. It's become a lot sexier, yeah. and you can never imagine industrial warehousing being sexy or glamorous, but I think the whole e-commerce, e-retail, automation and robotics and Amazon, and everything like that, or that, that whole story's made industrial property a lot more attractive. I do agree, and I do think there's a lot of capital out there struggling to find a home and if I had to predict, Joel, I think the home for that money, if you can't find a home in sheds, it may find a home in a new investment vehicle that, you know, is placed in automation. So, you know, the cost of the rent is a, is a small fraction versus the cost of the automation setup. So I've got a bold prediction that there'll be a new either sub-market in industrial or like an investment vehicle that invests in these sort of 20-year investments in automation and dark rooms and yeah i think because capital's struggling I'm, I'm sure you heard about was it the blackstone portfolio had upwards of 60 people in the data room uh for a three billion dollar portfolio so that's 180 billion dollars looking for a home in industrial that's it's not all going to find a home in industrial so where does this money go sorry i've completely gone off where were we where were we 
yield, yield, industrial yield. So I'll frame it up in the national context again, as we have with face rents and land values. So where Melbourne's sitting within uh, the national market, again, we're not, you're not right at the bottom like you used to be. So Sydney's sitting at, at the moment, 5.45%. Brisbane at 6.1%. Adelaide at 6.8%. Perth sitting at 6.3%. God knows how that's the case. And um, Melbourne sitting at 5.2%. So you're in second place in terms of yield compression. Is this something that you think has room to move, further room to compress? Are people going to be paying more for a Victorian asset in the near future? I think short, short answer, yes. Short answer, absolutely yes. If you look at, like you said earlier, interest rates being so low and money being so cheap, if there was a time where no one had, it would be unfathomable to think of, you know, a, a, a year and a return investment of sub 5% in industrial. And then, you know, most recently that sale and lease back to GPT at 4.2% just smashed the record books wide open. And, you know, there's been multiple fours now. Um, with DHL and a few of these other assets. So I do believe that, yeah, there's, there's probably still a little bit of way to go. And you look at the way that these industrial properties are structured where the tenant actually pays all the outgoings. It's not like a residential investment where you've still got a, yeah. you know, a land tax and everything else. All of that's covered by the tenant and you're getting a, a 10 year secure lease to an international tenant. It's, it's the security that a lot of these larger investors are looking for willing to put your money into. When you're borrowing at 2% and you're still getting a 4% return, it's, it's, you're still making money. Yeah, and maybe that coupled with the, you know, the growth in Victorian markets, the growth in population, you know, that all makes sense and that all aligns. I think that's been really insightful, job. In terms of COVID, everyone talks about it. It has been one of the most um, globally impacting events of our lifetime anyway, so it would be remiss of us not to probably touch on it. As a minimum, do you think it's been overall good or overall bad for your industry and industrial property in Victoria? Overall, I think I'm I'm very 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 grateful to be working in the industrial space at Night yeah. Frank. I think the industrial property sector has held up incredibly well during this COVID year, and I continue to see it going from strength to strength. I think ultimately a lot of the things that people have learned throughout COVID in terms of Zoom meetings like we're doing now, Jimmy, in terms of ordering food online and buying products online, they're not going to be able to unlearn those behaviours. My parents now get all their food delivered and, you know, my dad bought shoes online the first time last night, which was a success. And, um, you know, he's in his 70s and he's, he's not going to go down to the shops anymore and, you know, fight for a car space and do all this Doesn't sort of stuff. To. Just jump online, yeah. get Saints straight to his house. I think ultimately industrial is probably going to absorb a lot of that retail market and we're going to see a lot of those retailers just move online. You don't need to have, I think it's the strip shopping that's probably going to hurt the most in terms of its time to come back. I think a lot of people are just going to continue ordering things online and that's going to be the way of life now. Couldn't agree more with those comments. I think it's brought forward and accelerated people's habits and changed them and I think there's more to come. So we've got pretty interesting times in front of us. But do you like it though? To put it back on you, do you enjoy sitting yeah. on the computer ordering things online, or is that? No, I like. I, I I mean, I like the convenience. I do. Everyone loves convenience, so I do like that. But I I don't mind going for a wander out to the shops and 
working through some of the racks and buying a t-shirt <laughs> like it's something to do it's an activity it might be a bit a bit bit dry like the balance of what we've been talking about today but it's just a little it's a little activity you can do go and get yourself a burger buy a t-shirt go and grab a beer afterwards it all makes up you know your weekend in some formal shape so online is going to grow for sure but look in in conclusion uh to today's chat Joel, just like to thank you very much for joining me on today's podcast. You know, I'd like to really thank you for drilling down into the trends and statistics behind the Victorian market we've discussed today. It's been really interesting to see how Victoria has evolved and is evolving in the national space compared to other states. So, look, Joel, thank you very much for joining us today on the property perspective. If there's round two, I'm sure our podcast will go viral and crazy. You know, this is going to get out of control. So, Joel, I'll hand to you. Thanks very much. Thank you very much, James.